Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And, oh man, we it's like we've reached the end of a, of what seems like an epic journey before the end of the epic journey. It's like the end of the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, where we are here at 1001 by 1. Uh, one ending before the next ending. That's a nice nerdy film joke out there for people who hey that's good you know because that film has what like 17 endings i stopped counting after five um yeah so just to give you a little bit of a recap we've been doing uh our decade by decade celebration of film we started back in 1920 and went 10 years each episode to go all the way back to 1920 our episodes sequentially were within our gates all quiet on the western front pinocchio sunset boulevard the apartment Five Easy Pieces, The Elephant Man, Goodfellas, Gladiator. And this week, we bring you Nostalgia for the Light. Uh, Knocking off two things we haven't done a lot of lately, foreign films and documentaries. So, boom, two birds with one stone right there. But not quite yet. We're going to give you some chit-chat, some film chit-chat, and some recommends this week. So, uh, what's been on over there in the, uh, the Woodington household? Well, I got I got one that's gonna make you real happy. Oh, because it's something you gave me, and had prompted me to watch many times on this show. Even oh, uh, I finally watched The Invisible Man 2020, and it's so much goddamn better than I that that movie is so much better than it deserves to be. Like, oh yeah, from the, and I'll confess, Liz couldn't do it. Liz couldn't watch it. Like seriously, ten minutes in, she's like, "This is too intense." Like, I just, she was like, I just fucking can't. You go ahead. You enjoy yourself. But she's like, I can't. I can't do this movie. The opening is of a that mark- movie is insane. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, from the very, from the very opening with her trying to escape the house as quietly as she can, the intensity. I mean, it, this movie does not let you off the hook for a second of its runtime, which is not great. And all. I think the very, the smart thing that they did is, is making sure to this this wasn't from the perspective of the invisible man. It was from the perspective of, of a victim, which I think is the, the really smart thing to do. And she's elevated from the very beginning. So there is of course a shadow of a doubt that permeates through at least the first 45 minutes, almost to an hour of that film. Uh, the score is great. Cinematography is magnificent. Elizabeth Moss is just stunningly good in this. I know. I, mean, I feel like, I feel amazingly like, good. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like, Last year, there was there was this, you know, whether or not you like the film, this idea of pushing um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o for us, uh, for what she did in there. And whether and then the year before that, it was um, I forget her name. Oh, I, I hate myself right now. The the woman in Hereditary. Help me out. Help me out. Uh, Tony Collette. Thank you. Uh, there was like a push for her. And I do think I, we're in a slew of really good like really good lead female performances in horror films. And I, I don't know what the likelihood of it is, but Elizabeth Moss in the invisible man is just fucking killing it. She is so good in it. Yeah. I just, I mean, I think just a nod would be the, would be a victory. Oh, totally. 
in in the same way that uh, Sigourney Weaver getting a nod for Aliens was a huge victory for those types of films. Yeah, indeed. Oh, I'm so glad you watched it. So glad. Yeah, I loved it. it. And of course, I I texted you earlier in the week after I finished the uh, uh, Life Itself Roger Ebert documentary. Fucking yeah. fantastic. Loved every moment of it. My respect and admiration for that man just grew exponentially as that film went along. Yeah, you know, and and not knowing a lot about him, I I really personally I loved watching the, you know, it, it, like it's not scripted, but like the relationship arc between him and Siskel, like the way they did not like each other at the start, and the way that that sort of ultimately fed into their inevitable friendship. I I just I I loved how it was laid out, and and just yeah, what a what a just fun sweet man. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I got I got a little choked up at the fact that Siskel didn't share that he was dying until the very, very end. And of course, Ebert not getting to say goodbye to him in the way that he wanted to, man, that just that hit me like a ton of bricks, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, So you you mentioned that you watched uh, a horror film and uh, a documentary. So I want to I want to counter uh, with with one of those uh, each. I'm going to start with one that I uh, I don't have much to say about. I watched the Beastie Boys story on Apple Plus TV. Um, I don't know if what what kind of a fan you are of the Beastie Boys, but I had just, a blast. Just sabotage and you know no sleep till Brooklyn. I oh. I have a I have a huge problem with the Beastie Boys. Do in you? In the sense that yeah yeah in the sense that uh, and I I hate to generalize. But other than like sabotage and maybe one or two others, every single one of their songs sounds like da 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 uh da 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 uh. It's just one guy sings three quarters of a line and then the other two join in at the very end. That's every single fucking song. Well, yeah, that's that's a lot of what they do. Um, but I I think the why I liked it so much is, and I totally did. I grew up on their music and and had a bunch of their records. Um, but obviously, uh, Adam Yauch, uh, died, uh, about maybe, I think about 10 years ago now, uh, from cancer. So it was the other two guys, it was Ad-Rock and Mike D. Um, uh, and they, it was like a live on stage. Um, I don't want to call it a performance, but sort of a a live telling of their story, um, directed for the stage and on, on for the documentary by Spike Jones, who makes some godlike voice appearances in uh in the in the movie um so i don't have much to say about it because honestly it's just it, it's i didn't know all of the stuff that they they told but it was very funny very fun and very personal i really liked it my horror thing though that i watched recently which uh this being halloween season so uh melissa and i uh tried our we, we did the free 30-day shutter subscription and uh we we've only like just just dipped our toe in but if you want a good short scary recommendation there's this uh, shutter original called host and it's very recent like the movie is about five women doing a seance over a zoom meeting because of covid recent um and i pretty much just gave you the plot of the movie five friends they all seem to be college aged or maybe like grad school aged um friends uh do a zoom conference you know call and get some woman to come on and do a seance and one of the girls makes up a lie about something that's happening and thus an evil spirit like basically starts fucking with them but like the way it's done the way it's edited 
like, and it's only, I think it's like 58 minutes. It's like not even feature length, but it is every, it, you know, there's a lot of kind of preamble at the start. A lot of like, oh, well, this isn't going to work. What are we doing? La, 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 la. And then like, once it gets going, it's like, you're fucking in. And because you're trying to navigate five screens, it makes it all the more like, fuck, I'm missing something, aren't I? Like you just keep glancing back and forth. Like, and, and they will occasionally give focus to one screen and then to the other and then cut back to all five. But this was like an hour long horror gem. And I heard about it on another podcast I listened to. And I, 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 I didn't know anything besides horror and zoom. And it worked. It, it fucking worked. That sounds that sounds really interesting. I'm glad that people are able to continue to be creative throughout the trying times that we are living in. Yeah, and I don't I mean I'm sure they could have they could have done something like it with like outside of the Zoom setting, but there was something about like this I don't know, this spirit fucking with all of them in completely different spaces and and how it was messing with them. Dude, it was it was scary. Like I jumped at least four or five times. It was it was great. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm I'm gaining a lot of respect for Shudder, and that's awesome that they're creating original content as well, so you feel like you're getting a little bit of uh, extra bang for your buck with that service. And it's it's relatively cheap too. I think isn't isn't Shudder only like six bucks a month? Or yeah, it, it's it's a, I think it's five ninety nine a month, or you could do an annual thing, and it comes. It's like yeah. it ends up being like four fifty or something a month. Um, and like I said, yeah, that's it's that's pretty actually, reasonable. That's the only thing that we've watched so far during our trial, and, and we're in we're in the midst of you know Halloween season, so I'm sure we'll like I know uh, you know uh, way back now, but I know Brian on our peeping Tom, Tom, peeping Tom episode recommended One Cut of the Dead, which is still on there, so I plan on giving that a watch. Um, there's a creep show series. There's a lot of stuff that I would like love to just yeah, why not while while we have it, give that a give that a watch. But um, host what? man is worth is worth that. Like I would. Just pay for a month subscription just to watch that because it was fucking really good. That's fantastic. Well, also on there is uh, Lanthimos's Dog Tooth, so you could revisit that. I don't know. That, I don't. So I don't know that I want to revisit it. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I've just I've just got one more in a little bit of banter, and actually, it serves as a, kind of a double feature with my recommend for the week. So I could, if you'll. If you're okay with it, I'll go from this one straight into the recommend afterwards because they serve as kind of like a great double feature uh, to each other. Um, as you know, uh, one of the the newer loves in my life is Werner Herzog. Jesus Christ! And so, yeah, yeah. As uh, as we were doing a documentary, I had other than The Invisible Man and uh, another British comedy that I watched this week called Four Lions, which I also really highly recommend as well. Um, I had a bit of a documentary week, and so I used the opportunity to fill some more of my Herzog documentary gaps, because I am finding that he is a better documentary filmmaker than he may be a narrative uh, feature filmmaker. But, uh, so, uh, another quick little bit of banter would be about his Cave of Forgotten Dreams, which was also made in 2010, as was the movie we're going to talk about here later, Nostalgia for the Light. Cave of Forgotten Dreams is uh, currently... I did a trial for uh, IFC on uh, Amazon Prime in order to watch this. It's um, He was granted exclusive access. No other filmmaker that I know of has ever been allowed into these caves uh, before or since he made this movie. It's in the south of France. 
the Chavette Caves, and uh, these caves contain the oldest known cave paintings in the world. They're something like 35,000 years old, and they are stunning. I mean, it's really quite something to sit there and to take a sort of virtual tour of this cave. He did shoot it in 3D as well, so if you saw it in the cinemas, you got to you got to see it in 3D, which would have been a really cool experience. Um, but to think that ancient man, you know, had the, the sort of need and, and, and the want to express himself through and herself through, uh, a sort of artistic expression. I mean, it's a really, really beautiful, worthwhile film. It, It really does a lot to sort of capture imagination about what life in these, in these very ancient times could have been like. And these, these scientists, their, their search for, you know, what those times could have been, how these people would have lived. I mean, it's a really, really fascinating journey, really beautiful. As with, as with any Herzog documentary, like I'll talk about again in a minute, you just, you never, you don't want them to end, is, is what I'm finding. I just want to live in the world of things that he finds fascinating, because obviously he wouldn't, he wouldn't spend his time on something that wasn't worthwhile. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I again that's on that's on IFC. Uh, sorry, that yeah IFC. That's on. If you want to check that out, definitely highly recommend that. I was gonna also talk about the uh, the social dilemma, but I'll uh, I'll leave that where it lies for the moment because I'm still I'm I'm still reeling from the effects of that documentary. Yeah, I watched that. But too, I, this week you gotta you gotta put that in your head, man, because that shit is. Uh, I mean, it's it's the shit that we. I think have suspected for a while, but to hear it from actual insider, you know, tech insiders is, is another thing entirely. I did. Anyway, so that I didn't really like the, the, the fictionalized family stuff going along I, I with mean, it. I, I got it. It was a little heavy handed in places. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, anyway, yes, that I think the information. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, so that leads us into our recommends for the week, and as I said, if you're okay, I'll go first, and I'll I'll delve right into another Werner Herzog documentary. He actually made this and Cave of Forgotten Dreams in the same year, which is mind-boggling to me. He's another one of those guys that just cannot stop putting out several films a year. So this is 2010's Happy People, A Year in the Taiga. Have you heard of this one? I have not. Okay, so this is this is currently on Canopy. Canopy is a great service for anybody that doesn't know about that. You can uh, go ahead and get yourself a library card, which you should really have anyway, and then you use that to sign up. And because it's such a massive streaming service, which, I mean, it's pretty much all of the streaming services combined the amount of content that it has on there. You're only allowed five plays a month, but I think considering that it's free, I mean, that's, that's pretty fair. Uh, so this is... Um, this is shot uh, or co-directed with a guy named Dmitry Yasyokov. I'm pretty sure I'm probably not pronouncing his, his last name correctly, but <laughs> there you go. It follows a guy named uh, Gennady, who is a, uh, an inhabitant of the Taiga region of, uh, of Russia. It's in Siberia, a little town called uh, Bakita. And uh, he is a, a fur trapper for most of the months of the year. And it, it basically just follows specifically him, but some other people that live in the town. There's a funny, uh, funny little reference to Tarkovsky, one of his family members. I believe it's actually his son lives in that region as well. You know, the very famous 
filmmaker that you and I have both fallen in love with. His his son pops up in this film as well. That's uh, that's where he lives. Uh, that's great. And it's just this beautiful journey to how these people how these people live in such a huge yet remote and somewhat isolated part of the world it's only accessible by helicopter year round and then for some of the months of the year you can get to it by boats but i'm i'm there's a jealousy that i find that i have for anybody who has the kind of skills that can allow them to just live off the land as these people do uh for many months of the year and it's just so amazingly shot uh very it feels very personal you know you get to you get to spend a lot of time with this guy and he talks very candidly he talks about the relationships with his dogs relationship with his family his relationship with nature you get to see him passing on some of the knowledge that he has to his son about building traps building canoes building skis uh this and this area i can't stress how big this area is i mean right at the start they tell you i mean that it is one and a half times the size of the united states so very easily to find yourself lost in it and you just watch these guys move from cabin to cabin setting their traps i just again like i said about cave of forgotten dreams just a minute ago a documentary that i didn't want to end i just wanted to live in this world that's that's what i find that herzog is so great at capturing is 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 worlds apart from our own yeah i i i gotta say i know i mean i enjoyed grizzly man for what it was um and i i do without even seeing another one of his documentaries i would probably just go with you and say that he probably is a better documentarian than he is feature film director but then again i'm, I'm basing that on very 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 little uh film reference to his stuff so um but cool that sounds that sounds really interesting man yeah, I, I think it's you being the, the documentary fan that you are, it is definitely right up your alley. I think you'll really enjoy that, and I dare I say you may go back for seconds, because I, I can't wait to see it again. <laughs> well, speaking of documentaries, I, I also have a documentary, a, a much more recent documentary. Um, this is actually the film that prompted me to start our seven-day Apple Plus trial, um, and this is a documentary called Boy State. Have you heard of Boy State? I have not heard of Boy State, but let me let me cut you off really quick. Now that you've done an Apple uh, trial, did you also squeeze Greyhound in? So, so I I didn't. I still have some time, but uh, I don't want to tip the hat. I don't want to you know give too much away for what we might be doing in season three, but considering one of the directors that we've mentioned talking about and that said director is going to be having uh, one of their new films premiere on Apple plus in a couple of weeks, I think I might just let the one month roll over just so I could have it for that as well. But yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, so uh, boys that actually won um, the, the uh, grand jury prize at Sundance. Um, and I, I had heard I, basically I one of the podcasts I listened to had their episode called the movie of the year boy state. And I was like, well, that seems like a big, a big thing to say. And uh, so I found out where it was and I, I watched it and I didn't know what this was. So boy, boy state is a, as a group that's funded by the American Legion and most states have this. And essentially each state has hundreds, if not thousands of kids show up, uh, 17 to 18 year old high school kids. There's a boy state and a girl state. And basically they get together and the purpose of this week, week long camp for a better word is to 
build a government from the ground up. Uh, so I think uh, this was this was 2018. The, the the documentary filmmakers decided to to film at the Texas Boy State this year because the year before a group had officially voted to secede from the union and it made it made um, national news. And so these document these documentarians wanted to go in and sort of see what what the whole thing is about. So these kids, like 600 kids, uh, well, like I think like 1,200 kids are divided in half, and they're they're divided into um, the Federalist and the Nationalist. There's no party party platform yet because that's what these kids are doing. They're gonna they're gonna elect governors. They're gonna elect chairmen. They're gonna build a party platform, and they're gonna in a week do this whole thing. Um, and so what we do is we follow. At first, we follow these three guys. Uh, who all are going to run for governor in this in this world? Governor is the highest thing you can get elected for, and um, uh, one of them quickly learns that he probably doesn't have the stuff to cut it, so he's going to back off, and he ends up being the party chairman for one of them. And then we meet this really outspoken character uh, who ends up being the party chairman for the other side, and we sort of watch, in a way, the political system, but from a very very weird point of view which is these 17 year old texas males um it is utterly fascinating it is so compelling and the the verite style of most of the movie cut with these sort of um like real world confessional moments it's it's so interesting and there's no twist but like some of the characters reveal things later on that you're like oh shit i didn't i didn't know that and it's it's hard to it's 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 easy to forget that this happens over one week. I don't know, man. It's it was strangely like compelling and it made you think a lot. It made you pissed off at the nation, but also like gave you a lot of hope for what our country could be. I mean, we're on the precipice of an election and it's already fucking chaos. And this movie is so timely and so important and I think Texas was a great place to do this because watching sort of like these dissenting opinions try to make their voices heard is it's really interesting. I like I said with host on Shudder, this movie alone is worth trying your Apple Plus subscription. I I haven't seen a documentary that really kept me this enraptured in a long time. And I I thought it was I thought it was great. I think this is easily a a potential front runner for for a documentary feature this year. Oh, that's that's awesome, man. That that sounds uh, that does sound really compelling. And like I, I, mean, I showed does, Melissa. I'm assuming it gets. It. I'm assuming it gets very contentious and very very heated. It 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 does, and especially when you feel like friendships are or like you know connections are being made, and then like, but like you don't want to cross party lines, so then it doesn't. And it's again, it's so indicative of the way politics works today. It's. It's there's there's I think that the quote of the movie is one one of the one of the guys is it says to, about the other guy he goes I think he's a really good politician, but I don't think being a really good politician is a compliment either. And it's just like it was like just it, it's just there's it's just so interesting to see the, this film from the perspective of these seventeen year old kids. It's it's <laughs> fucking compelling. Well, yeah, that's that's got to be the thing that that makes it so. Seeing as though these seventeen-year-olds, you know, even with all their inexperience, they kind of they get what's what's going on on a larger scale. 
even even through this small little thing that they're doing and that you know as time goes on you know you can see that some people aren't going to change i mean they say that our personalities are set as early as five years old so yeah cool so yeah i not surprised that we both had documentaries to suggest uh this week as we're talking about one so happy people uh is it what is it a happy a year in the taiga is that what it is happy people a year in the taiga and uh, so there we go. So happy people here in the Taiga and Boy State. Those are our recommendations this week. But now it's time to get to 2010 uh, and nostalgia for the light. Um, this was uh, directed and you know written as much as it is by uh, Patricio Guzman. He has no other films in the book. Uh, and upon re- referencing his IMDb, um, his films are all, not all. I shouldn't say all, but the majority seem to be in this realm of. Uh, Chile and what happened uh, in 1973, I think 73, um, and everything that happened with the the coup. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, so I don't want to get too much into that. But um, this is a very specific world that Guzman tends to live in. Um, uh, and just to, to say for the record, it premiered at Cannes in 2010. It didn't hit the U.S. until 2011. I'm not sure exactly how the book does it. There are other issues too, but it's in the book's 2010. It premiered in 2010. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> it works for this thing that we've been doing. Well, and also, I, I kind of like that our decade-by-decade our journey started with a small, very important film and is ending with a small, very important film. You know, like you said, we could have gone out with a bang last week and, and had the one-two punch of Goodfellas and Gladiator, but it's kind of nice to, to finish on something a little, more, a little more prescient, something with a little bit more of a message. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so in terms of, of accolades, I didn't write any specific ones down. It was nominated for documentary feature at a bunch of places. It won some. It didn't win others. Did you have any uh, specific ones that you wanted to shout out? Well, it, it was nominated for a WGA in, yep. a, in the documentary categories. Um, it got a jury award at the LA Latino Film Festival, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, Village Voice gave it third place for the best documentary of the year behind uh, The Arbor and The Interrupters. And uh, it also got nominated for a couple of the news and documentary Emmys. It was nominated for Best Doc, which it lost to uh, Saving Face, which is all about uh, plastic surgeons trying to help victims of acid attacks. And it lost a long-form historical program to The Loving Story, which was later made as Loving with... Uh, uh, Joel Edgerton about the uh, uh, a couple fighting uh, interracial marriage. social justice, yeah, interracial yeah. marriage and social justice and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, but but not much to speak of, especially considering the the last few films and like we spent like twenty minutes talking about accolades. Not not a whole lot there. Um, it's not on the IMDb top two fifty. It has it does have a perfect one hundred percent critical score on Rotten Tomatoes with an eighty four audience. Um, do you have any critical things you'd like to read? I don't, but I do have, uh, if, if you don't, uh, I'll just go ahead. And I, I had a quick little critical blurb that I wrote immediately after the film. And I'm kind of starting to second guess. I'm in kind of two camps about this movie. So if you'll bear with me, this was my gut reaction to this film immediately afterwards, having a whole week to think about it. Sure. Uh, 
I love the message, but not necessarily the means of delivery. By telling these two stories connected only by the vaguest threads and thematic, co thematic coincidence does disservice to both. Its call for awareness, empathy, and action is more of a whisper than a cry through employing saccharine and naive imagery, particularly the final marble analogy, which both belabors and yet somehow cheapens its grander design. The enormity of our cosmos and the daily struggle these women face for closure deserves a more concise and charged viewpoint. Can I can I tell you something that I did immediately following the movie? I think you'll like this. Go for it. I instead of thinking as 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 well written as that was, I thought more like you know how when you go to Rotten Tomatoes they'll give you like the one sentence, like thing. Here was mine. While visually pleasing, the story doesn't get to shine as brightly as the stars do, or is as clear as that Chilean sky. It is muddled. Yeah. So I think we're I think we're in the same kind of ballpark there. Yeah. So now that that was what I wrote on Monday. So I've had a whole sure. week to think about it. So I'm as I said I'm in a very conflicted place and hopefully this discussion will help me find uh, some clarity. So let's let's talk about what the movie uh, is about and is kind of what it is trying to do. When it opens this seems like what we're going to it seems like what we're going to get a story about is um the fact that the Atacama Desert in, in Chile um, has this kind of unique properties. It's There's no humidity. The air is really clear. Thus, atmospherically, I, I think from the observatories they have there, the images they can get of the stars are like really clear. And the visuals that we get throughout the movie of, of those are fascinating and beautiful. No doubt about it. And then a, a little ways into the telling of it, we start to find out that there it's possible and that ultimately it is true that there are some, some bodies potentially buried out in this desert um, carried out from uh, this, this coup that happened. And again, I, I want to talk about more about that. So I'm going to, I'm again, I'm glossing over this for a second. Um, this coup that happened um, in, uh, God, I want to get this right. So hold on though. I'm going to, I want to say it's 1970. Yeah. 1973. And, um, Pinochet, who was a, a military uh, general and who ultimately became the dictator of Chile. And about 3,000 people were tortured and killed uh, in this time. And, and so we, we get that. That gets mentioned, too. And then, it, and then as, as we've kind of alluded to, there is this thread trying to be made from the documentarian from Guzman about connecting the stars and how they can explain the past in terms of trying to help explain what happened in 1973 that I leave out any, I mean, there's, there's characters we meet along the way, but that's essentially what this movie is about. And well, and primarily not just the, the coup and the bodies that are buried there, but really the many of the women that were left behind the wives, the mothers and the daughters of a lot of, and it, and it, as we'll get into, it wasn't just men who were, were taken and killed and tortured, but some women as well. But again, primarily women who are left behind searching the desert for the remains of their loved ones. And so they talk about the, the astronomers searching for the calcium that makes up the stars as well as the calcium in our, in our own bones that these women are searching for. And that's really the, the sort of common thread there. These, these two sets of people scouring the past looking for for answers that ultimately i mean the chances of, of finding these answers are, are slim to almost none 
So um, can I start off with just a, a, a pet peeve that was, it's of my own doing, but it was a huge stumbling block as I was watching the movie. And it wasn't until the next day after I watched it that I could do a little bit of research to sort of make sure that I wasn't going crazy. So we keep seeing these astronomers, um, especially because we open, we spend like, you know, five, six solid minutes with that first younger guy sort of talking about all of this and how, you know, basically he's at, at times he's explained that everything's in the past, right? Because of, of impulses and how everything is perceived. Everything, this is happening in the past already because, because it's taking time, the time it takes to actually complete the act and, and all that stuff. And we talk about the speed of light, the speed of the moon, the speed of this, like all, all that stuff gets, gets mentioned. But in terms of trying to connect all of this to the past or predicting or like assessing the past and predicting the future, that's astrology, not astronomy. And I, I had to do a little bit of research because I, and, and generally speaking, ast astrology is what they're talking about. Astrology is finding this sort of uh, bigger link between the stars and what happens down here. Astronomy is the scientific research of what happens between here and the sky. Um, and again, I don't, I don't know if there's just a preconceived bias of knowing what astronomers do and what astrologers do, but it was, I, I couldn't make that click in my brain for the longest time because like clearly they're, they're astronomers. I mean, again, towards the end of the movie, we see a scene with that same astronomer and then a, 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 an American guy in there talking about like the, the patterns the stars make. And I'm like, yeah, this is astronomy. This is astronomy. What you're doing, this is the scientific stuff. And it's the, the astrology stuff is kind of like that blind faith. And I think that's where they're trying to tie it into the 1973 massacre that happened. You know, you know, that's nitpicky, right? It, it, no, like, it like is, I'm, I'm not but... trying to bust your balls, but it, I mean, that is a nitpicky detail. It, no, it, it absolutely is. But why not get astrologers? Oh, no. And I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. But I, so that was, that was, that was one thing. But then I had to spend a lot of time, a lot of time actually researching Pinochet and, and what happened in 1973. Um, and there, there's read, a lot. There's a lot. There, there. is a lot. There's a, a hell of a lot there. Um, I read the Wikipedia page on Pinochet. I read the Wikipedia page about the, what they called the original nine 11, um, and what happened that day. Um, I also watched, there's a, there's a Netflix documentary, um, called massacre at the stadium, which is about, uh, Victor Hara, who was a Chilean, uh, singer and activist. And, uh, he was taken, uh, not, not the day, that the coup actually happened, but the next day he was taken from the university and he was, he was in that initial uh, group of people that were tortured and killed. And, um, and, and it goes into it, it, the, the second half of it ends up being more about him and finding justice for who killed him. But the first half is pretty solidly about like Allende, who was, who was uh, elected president, like legit elected president in a democratic election in Chile. He was a Marxist though. And that's not good. And since the U.S. was already in the midst of this, well, fuck Cuba, fuck communism. We're already fighting a war about this in, in Vietnam. We can't let this stand. And while you'll hear many U.S. people say we didn't put people in the planes and we didn't give them the weapons, it's pretty much established that the U.S. backed this coup. That's, um, that's, that's been the U.S.'s M.O. for, you know, as far back as you can go. 
I mean, as far back as uh, Hussein and and uh, yeah, I mean, and you're talking about arming the Taliban. You know, that that whole the movie Charlie Wilson's War deals with that. And then you you actually, I I found a Nixon took a real issue with Allende. I believe he called him a son of a bitch. And there are uh, lots of photos with Kissinger and Pinochet. So I mean, you can you can connect the dots yourself pretty easily. The fact yeah. that yeah, we definitely had a hand in this, and there's uh, there's a lot that the UK had to do with it after the fact as well, which really hurt me quite a bit. And we'll we'll come into that a little bit later in the episode. But I but I say all I say all of this, all of this research I did on astrology versus astronomy, as nitpicky as it is, all of this reading I did on, on Pinochet and and what happened on 9-11, 1973, and, and even watching this additional documentary on this time, this the documentary that, that we're presented in Nostalgia for the Light, I think assumes that we have, I, I think assumes that we know more than we might. And if you don't know enough about the events itself, this is kind of a tough hang because I, I could put the pieces together of what happened, but I'm sitting here going, I, I don't know enough of the specifics and that might not, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but for me doing the extra research is what makes me go, Oh, I get why, what, what they're talking about in the movie is important, but I can't say that I felt that importance from the documentary. Yeah, there's certainly there's there's a there's a presumption that you've seen some of Guzman's other documentaries or that you are a little bit more familiar with the history because as you mentioned uh, Guzman's filmography primarily deals with documentaries about his home country. I would definitely go as far as calling him a patriot. Um and that's that's not a slur. I'm not using that in a slanderous way. I'm saying that isn't yeah, yeah. good for you, man. You're very patriotic. You love your country, and that's that's great. And you want justice for how badly your country was done over. I mean, he did three documentaries. He did a trilogy, the Battle of Chile in the uh, in the 1970s, um, which I think they total something like seven and a half hours if you were to do them all in one go. Uh, he also did one specifically about Allende, and he did one specifically called the the Pinochet case, which I very very highly recommend. And I'll reference as we as we go through the episode, which deals with uh, a lot of the aftermath and and uh, what happened to Pinochet himself. Uh, so there you are coming into this movie blind is definitely sets you at a little bit of a disadvantage, and you're sort of forced to just latch onto. The, the, the thread, the narrative thread, the, the connective tissue, which is kind of thin at best. Yes. After a while, it was hard not to make comments about they're really they're really forcing this analogy of of looking to the stars to find answers for the past. It's in a way it almost feels like in a in like in, in a court if this were like a court case and somebody were a pro, like a prosecuting attorney or whatever to, to Guzman, there'd be so many objections for leading the witness in terms of the questions that he asks and the way that he's, he's essentially getting the responses that he, he wants, um, which is fine. But, and I, it's tough because in, in like the two reviews that I read, what got highly touted a lot was the, the 
personal connections that these people in the, the documentary actually have to what they're talking about. And I think it's true until they're asked to basically find like some metaphor to do with the stars. And it's rough. Cause like, I feel like, and we're kind of all over the place, but that, that moment right towards the end where the, the two, the two older ladies are in the observatory kind of looking up at the stars. I think we're meant to find some sort of empathy or, or not resolution, but like a, a nice moment of peace with them. Like, Oh, look at them looking up to the stars. Maybe that they'll find some answers there, but it's like, but, but we didn't really get there. Yeah, no, definitely not, not without having seen a couple of his other documentaries. No, you definitely would not have got there. Um, uh, that's not to say I don't want to sound cold and, unempathetic because there was a lot in this film and a lot in uh, the Pinochet case, his documentary from 2001 that literally buried the needle on my empathy meter. Uh, but the fact, the one, one major gripe and he does it, I think three times throughout the film is he has this weird uh, post-production effect where he layers over the top of an image like them at the end in the observatory stardust, this glittery, Sort and I'm like, am I watching a fucking music video from the 1980s? Like, what? What is? Why are we doing this? This is supposed to be a special moment. This is this is the end of your thesis, where you're bringing together these two worlds. They're in the observatory, and these are two of the women who we focused on, searching desperately for remains of their loved ones. And now you're putting this weird sparkle effect all over every. Like, no, please don't do that. Well, and there's there's a. Uh, I believe it's the guy, I think his name is Miguel, and there's a moment where like, we see him, he was in one of the concentration camps. Um, we see him sort of walking the steps of his house, and that was like how he remembered the essentially the the square footage, the the blueprint of the camp. And there's a line that gets said that's over narration, and it says, Miguel and his wife are a metaphor for Chile. He is remembering whilst she is forgetting because she has Alzheimer's. And, and, and they say that line and I'm thinking, man, I, I think you're trying way too hard. I, it, everything it, it, and even though his, his voice is very subtle, it's very soft. It's not, it's not overpowering, but the words that are chosen to be said for whatever reason, belabor the point so much. And I, I don't know, man. And I don't know if that's just like a cold heart or I don't know what. What was it? But like the moments that I know were supposed to be tender and I know we're supposed to elicit like real empathy from the viewer. Just it, it just didn't. It just didn't for me. Well, that's that's the problem is this film is uh, it's a I now having seen something else of his. This film is like a postscript. This is like, OK, I gave you I gave you my big trilogy Here's a little something on Allende. Here's something in Pinochet. Here's something. They actually made a documentary about him showing the first three documentary to young people who didn't know anything about Chile, which is kind of interesting in a kind of like a meta sort of way. Yeah. But yeah, it it pre it presupposes far too much of us. And I, I like the way that you bring up his narration as well, because that's that's what prompted me to also make sure that in this documentary week that I had sort of fill in some more of my Herzog gaps because I'm like, oh, well, this is just Herzog light. <laughs> this is this is Herzog without... There's a natural poetry to how he shoots his films and there's a natural poetry to the way that he speaks. And this so much of this film is forced. 
And so, so now that we've, we've done said quite a bit of negative things about this film, I do want to say that, as I said, the, the stuff with the women did really hit me in such a way. What, what really, what really got to me is the idea of multiple layers of wasted life in the sense that a lot of these people all I'd say probably all of these people were killed senselessly because they you know stood for socialism and they were very liberal and that were all things that again in a dictatorship a dictator isn't going to want liberal free thinking people socialists things like that and and juxtaposed with the wasted life of these these women who can't seem to let go for you know for obvious reasons I mean, I think for, for justifiable reasons, they can't let go. There's no sort of closure in their lives. They are, they have been taught for decades to distrust their governments. You know, they don't believe when they hear things like, okay, the bodies were buried, but then they were dug up again, and then they were thrown out to sea in order to, you know, obscure any kind of evidence, which is why I think it's the archaeologist that's in the film, uh, uh, Nunez, he talks about how the reason why that they're finding just mainly feet and pieces of skull is because of the diggers that they use to dig up the bodies that in the mass graves just got, you know, torsos and legs and arms. And, you know, you would have bits of feet and bits of skull, you know, falling off over the edge. And, and, and they can't seem, there's one woman who says that, you know, they gave her a piece of jawbone. And she's like, that's not enough. I want him back whole. And it doesn't matter to me that you've said, oh, well, his, the rest of his remains were, would have been tossed into the sea because of, because of how badly they were done over. They, under Allende, they were living in a, in a democratically elected system. You know, they were, they were living in a, in a world with, um, with much more fairness, even if in some people's mind Marxism isn't good. And then, and then to have that violently sort of ripped away and then to be lied to for, for decades and to watch Pinochet get away with it and to, to watch the fact that he has supporters and to see other countries support him, that's got to be devastating. Yeah, why would you trust any of that shit? Oh, no, for sure. And, and that moment specifically, I remember I, I, I wrote down like, you know, when can you rest peacefully? And not not to the specific woman. That was more of a, like a just a general question. Like you know, like if the jawbone. And I wrote that down too. Like if that's not enough, then what is? And 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 what would it take for you to find peace? Can you find? I mean, at one point she says, "I don't want to. I don't want to die before I find him." She and she says, "I think she says she's seventy, and it's like, like, and even if you lived to be ninety, and even if you were able." Even if you were able for the next twenty years to keep to keep walking the desert and to keep to keep looking, even if you even if you found a bigger a bigger literal piece of his body out there, will that bring you peace? And and, and I'm not I'm not judging either. I don't know. I, I could not imagine what that's like. But again, while that's an interesting question that we get to ask after the fact, it ends up not being a huge part of the movie. It, it's just another sort of chunk. And then we move on to the next thing, which is, as I said, I think it's, I think it's a great disservice because what I found myself saying was that, Oh, I'm really interested in all this cosmos stuff. You know, I love, I love 
you know, science. I love astrology, astronomy. I love all of that. I'm very fascinated by all of that. And I will, I'd love to watch a documentary just about that. But I also am very fascinated by this piece of history that I know almost nothing about. And I really want to learn sort of more about that. So, you know, at the end of the day, and I don't want to, I don't want to tip my hand. Well, I, I probably will just tip my hand right now. I didn't regret watching this movie because it prompted me to do the research and it prompted me to find out, you know, one more about Chile, Pinochet, Guzman, you know, his passion for this. It it prompted me to go out and actually, as I said, I watched the Pinochet case as well to sort of round out some of my knowledge about this. But like, I, I want, I want something that this movie isn't capable of delivering, you know, these two separate stories fully fleshed out, fully formed, giving me the sort of emotional release, which I think is necessary in a documentary of this sort of grand, these grand ideas. And it's just not going to be there because it's so, it's so focused on, we have to make these things connect. And, and in that sense, it loses sight of the importance of both of the stories that it's trying to tell. I, this is going to be a weird tangent, but so just bear with me for a second. There's a great play that I got to do when I was in grad school by uh, the woman named Sarah Rule, and it's called In the Next Room or The Vibrator Play. And essentially what this play is about is about a, a doctor and his wife. And part of the story is that they're having some some marital woes. They're not connecting as a husband and wife anymore. Uh, but part of what's also going on is that he is a doctor curing female uh, uh, psych- psychotic, psychotic nature in female which uh, was released by a essentially an early vibrator put down in their private area to release that hysteria. Um, but it, it's also about the dawn like of electricity, like like not just the fact that this is new science in a way, but also like electricity is pretty fucking new. And I remember thinking initially, like, is this is this play about too much? Is this trying to get? too many things in there. Now ultimately I thought the play the play like is is a, it's a good play. But I think that's that comes from a very smart playwright. I'm not saying Guzman isn't smart, but like to, to you know, you can craft it however you want to because it's even though it's essentially about real things that did happen, it's fictionalized and you can you can make things work really well that way. This almost seems like it would be a better fiction, like a way to like like this almost seems like it could be a feature film about the like one of the last people we meet in the movie which is that younger lady whose grandparents gave up her parents so that she could live and her parents ended up being two that died in this time and then she grew up to be an astronomer and like if this was a feature film about her going to the stars and trying to find the remains of her parents like i don't like that seems something I could get on board with, but that's not the story that we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of snippets and it's almost like a visual poetry, but the poetry isn't as cool as the, isn't as good as the visuals. So that, that, that brings up two things that I definitely wanted to highlight. That's great. Is the the Valentina, the, the young lady that you mentioned, Valentina, she comes, when she comes into the movie, it's almost a day late and a dollar short. (laughs) Yeah. And, and how I felt about it, I was like, oh, this is this is good, this is interesting, but what I really feel like should have happened is this should be the bookends of the movie. We should have opened with her testimonial and then sort of ended with where she is now as to sort of, like, bridge the gap. 
which is what's so sorely missing from this movie. And the way you talked about like visual poetry is this gave me unfortunate flashbacks to the Gleaners and I, the, the one Varda movie that we've done so far, which I was not particularly fond of. I'm like, oh God, not another one of these. And which again is nothing, is nothing, I have no, I have nothing bad to say about the content in and of itself. I just think that it's not very well made. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to sit here and I'm going to rag on, oh, I think these women are wasting their lives because they've they've heard that their entire life. I would never presume to say something like that. I, I think their cause is very noble and my heart aches that, I mean, we have to be realistic. These women will never find peace. Yes. And that's that's the other thing that bugs me so fucking much about this movie is there's something that almost seems his the the way the film is shot some of his dialogue like i mentioned the marble analogy at the end really kind of pissed me off because there's there's this weird naivete about the film that just set me on edge i'm like why it it almost feels kind of cavalier like i i get what you're doing i get how you're trying to connect these worlds poetically but it just it's not tonally it's off base i couldn't agree with you more I, honestly, because it's not, it's not poorly made. It has the best of intentions, and and like you, I did, I did more post film research for a movie we've done on the pod than probably anything else. Yeah, I, it's it's definitely up there for as far as like labor intensive research. Yeah, and I don't, I clearly don't regret it. Like I feel like a more informed person having done this research, and there are incidents like this both here in the u.s and abroad that are just as fucked up and it's not that i any one of them deserve more uh more a a light shot a light shown on them more than the other and like i i do think people more more people need to know about what happened i just don't know that this is an end and my i feel like we've already kind of tipped our hand but like my replacement is not the thing that I watched on Netflix, uh, Massacre at the Stadium. But if you want more, like, heart, like, just more bullet points in a shorter span of time that, like, you can, you can visually kind of get an idea of what happened, there it is. I mean, and if you like, if you like kind of a true crime documentary too, well, then the second half will be for you as well. Cause that, like, that's sort of what the second half of it is. I, yeah, man, I just, I don't know. There was just a day late and a dollar short. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And and that's and again, I can't say that I don't regret watching this movie, but is it Same here. Is it is it something you must see before you die? I I don't I don't know. I don't I don't think so. I I can't say that I would strongly recommend this really to anybody because Again, I'll, I'll fuck it. I mean, we're just kind of we're being, we're playing a little fast and loose with our usual format. So I'll say that my replacement is actually the Pinochet case, his film from from two thousand one. That film, that film, I have had between this and and the social dilemma, man. I have had a fucking week of it with with the documentaries. I need to pump the brakes on the documentaries for a little bit because yeah. of the the emotional sort of tug of war that I have been playing with myself having having watched those two documentaries you know back to back nights uh so to talk about Pinochet just for a little bit and a little bit about the the Pinochet case if that's okay with you and fill in some some of the gaps there this film really deals with the aftermath you know in in 1990 
uh, he stepped down from his regime. Uh, he was based on uh, a 1980 law that he enacted. He once he retired from being a dictator, he he got to be a senator for life. Senator for life. Uh, yeah. And and he got you know taken in. Uh, by the UK, he would take a, a yearly visit to London, where he had uh, a lot of good friends. He was very good friends with Margaret Thatcher, which, fuck her, glad she's dead. Um, there's some footage in the Pinochet case that literally made me, like, um, I felt myself wanting to gag. Like, it really turned my stomach inside out. So what happened to Pinochet, he goes to London, it's 1998, uh, the Spanish government has actually found there's a there's a young prosecutor who was very passionate about Chile's case reading about how you know Spain took in some refugees or sorry other way around in the 1930s uh, there was a, a civil war in Spain and Chile and Argentina took in Spanish refugees that they didn't have to and so now in his mind well I'm sort of paying back for my ancestors and he finds a law that uh I'm, of course, I'm going to be paraphrasing here because uh, what the fuck do I know about Spanish law? <laughs> um, it's it basically the law says that Spain has a sort of global jurisdiction that allows them to put a person or a government on trial for, you know, major offenses, stuff like the genocide that that Pinochet and his regime perpetrated and so they they set out a warrant for him and attempt to try him and they use one of his visits to london as a way to sort of extradite him to spain to be to be to to have to stand trial yep now this is where it gets a little bit complicated because he does have a lot of friends in the uk and one of the one of his friends that they interviewed this was what's the thing that's really interesting about the Pinochet case is that it spends a hell of a lot of time with the survivors and the victims to extremely graphic detail like some of the stories in this thing will genuinely make you sick to your stomach about what kinds of torture these people these men and especially what the women went through is blood curdling so it spends a fair amount of time with, with victims, survivors, family members, but it also spends a lot of time with this one guy in particular who was a friend of his who I, to, to say that I'm the same nationality as that man makes me sick because the way that he generalizes and rationalizes his friendship and how he thinks it was disgusting that, you know, they had the gall to try and arrest Pinochet on his birthday. He makes sure to, to call that out. Like, as if it would make a fucking difference, you piece of shit. Yeah. Um, anyway, they get the whole the House of Lords involved. It's this whole big deal. He's under house arrest in the UK. And during a bout of his house arrest while he's there, there's footage of Margaret Thatcher coming to visit him. And she admits on camera... Not she's not speaking to the camera. She's speaking to him. She admits on camera that we turned a blind eye to what he was doing in his country to secure victory in the Falklands because he was giving us information. I like that, and I don't know if you know much about the Falklands. There we Little we bit. have territory. Yeah, we have territory down there by Argentina. A lot of the population. That like 80 to 90 percent of the population wants to be under still to this day wants to be under british rule and then the the argentinian government in an act of uh aggression uh invaded the falklands and tried to take it back by force uh 
I'm not saying who's right or wrong in that, but a lot of there are some people that look at the Falkland skirmish as our sort of Vietnam, which is a very broad generalization, but uh, somewhere in the ballpark. Nowhere near as, as violent, nowhere near as deaths, and it didn't go on as long, but whatever. Anyway, the fact that she admits this on camera and nothing has been done about it in the same way. I mean, it's so funny to me how we go through history, we go through time and space, and as a species, we learn absolutely fucking nothing. If you look at where we are today, I don't want to make this podcast too political. I mean, it kind of can't help it, seeing as though that's kind of what we're talking about. But yeah, I hear you. Trump is 3,000 dead Americans away from being no different than Pinochet. And you could argue that through his negligence, we're up over 200,000 dead Americans via COVID. You could argue that maybe he isn't any different. He hasn't actively given any of his citizens COVID, but he certainly hasn't done anything to prevent it either. So it's just, it's sickening to me that we learn nothing and that evil fuckwads are always going to be evil fuckwads. Yeah, yeah, that that was... Upon doing more of the research on Pinochet, that's just kind of what it, evil will somehow find a way to to persevere. And even though and it go seems unpunished like old- is is the more important thing there as well. All right, so so anybody listening, and I can see it in your face too. I'm I'm very sorry to bum you out. <laughs> no, no, I mean it's uh, the source material for nostalgia for the light is troubling and sad and. The fact that, you know, so many other people were not only involved, but turned a blind eye. It, it's fucking terrible, you know, and it, it. Nobody is perfect, but it's OK to say that I'm wrong. It's OK to admit that you did something that wasn't the way it should have been done. What you did doesn't like you did it and it's bad and that won't change. But admitting defeat is not a sign of weakness. And I don't I, I, I don't care who who disagrees with me it's not it makes you a human being and there's i get we've made the comparisons we might as well stay there but it's things like like people like pinochet and trump it's this idea that like i'm not wrong you are all wrong like no that's not that's not the way it works because we're to err is human and that's just a fact so it seems like like everybody's infallible and it's i i don't i don't i don't know i yeah. So I, yeah, man, I, it just it bums it bums me out so fucking sincerely. Yeah. Well, I my replacement is also a bummer, um, and it is also about travesties that happened. But in terms of documentaries, uh, this is easily in the top five I've, I've ever seen. And is uh, it, I think it is it the act of killing? It is the act of killing. I know. I keep I keep putting this. There's there's this one and the cove. Two that I've never seen that I know I I need to see that I must see, but I just man I don't know if I fucking got it in me. It's not just something you can just randomly put on and no, go. Hey, not, I'm gonna watch the Cove tonight. The thing about the Cove is that um, the Cove plays very cinematically. It it almost feels like an espionage spy film because of how they have to get the footage of the secret Cove. It's it's really elaborate, um, and it doesn't really gut punch you until the end. The act of killing punches you throughout. It just sort of hits you throughout the movie. And again, it's about 
um, Indonesian genocide versus what happened in Chile. Uh, but it's, it's, it lets you know about what actually happened, but the way in which they do it, in which they get this guy Anwar Congo and these other guys, these other gangsters who talk of, not only talk about the atrocities that they did, but then under the guise of this documentary crew, essentially reenact in different film genres what they did. It is one of the most morbidly compelling movies I've, I've ever seen. And the way it gets its point across is so unique and, and interesting. And Nostalgia for the Light needed a bit of, of an entertaining value. It needed something. It needed, it needed uh, some uh, like a joie de vivre. It needed something. It needed a spark. It needed anything, anything to help it feel different in some way. And it just, and what it had was this thin metaphor between the stars and this, this unfortunate thing that happened in Chile back in 1973. Um, You haven't seen it, but dude, I, the, I mean, yeah, it'll, it's a wallop, but it's, it's, it's really good, man. It's just, it's really good. Well, it sounds like it sounds like uh, Guzman has spent his life dedicated to to bringing a lot of these injustices to light. But I tell you what, nostalgia for the light could have done with is you recommended a documentary a little while back, a Japanese one, and it's got a great name. Help me out here because I can't remember it. It's called The Emperor's Naked Army Marches On. It that's what it needed. I ha- again, I haven't seen that yet, but I'm very excited to. But it sounds like it needed a little bit of that guy, someone who. And again, I'm not saying Guzman isn't dedicated because he very clearly is, but somebody who's not afraid to go out there and just grab these people by the fucking collar and scream into their faces, what have you done and where are the bodies? Well, and again, that's what this, in a way, this massacre at the stadium, this, and by the way, it's a part of this, like, I think they're called remastered. There's a whole slew of these documentaries on Netflix. Um, Kind of yeah. True I watched. Uh, I watched the. I watched the one on uh, Robert Johnson. Yeah. You know, yeah. Devil at the Crossroads a, kind of thing. There's yeah. a bunch of these. Um, and if you want that, not not in your face, but like seeking justice while also getting enough of the history to make you go, okay, I see. I know why you want justice. Now go get justice. And and again, we've. And it's so funny because we we've talked about this a little bit. We were referencing Roger Ebert since we watched his documentary, his reviews on the elephant man and on gladiator. And we talked about like, well, what movie, what movie did Ebert think he wanted to see? And maybe that's something for us to think about is, is what movie were we expecting with nostalgia for the light? And the truth is, is like, sure. Something a little more gritty and in your face, but even again, it's so tough. And I feel like we've said this so many times, so I, I will make this the last time that I say it, but this movie is not bad. It's just, it doesn't seem fully together. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, and if we're, I think we're, I think we're pretty much there. I think we're, we're wrapping up. It's going to be a little shorter episode than you've been used to lately. If you've been following along, but I I really want to end with, end with the fact that this, like you said, this isn't a bad movie. I do think it is absolutely worth your time. Is it a film you must see before you die? Probably not, but I certainly think that Guzman's outputs his passion for his country, you should take a look at some of his other documentaries. Watch the Pinochet case. Watch uh, his movie about Allende. Dive into 
the seven and a half hours, which is his Battle for Chile documentaries. I'm I'm very excited to to track those down, try and watch those. Maybe not right away. I think I need to give myself a little bit of a grace period before I go diving back into these atrocities. But I think uh, to sort of end with with something that one of the women in the documentary herself said, I think uh, this this is stuff that needs to be brought to people's attention because there is an active effort within the Chilean government to just sweep this under the rug, to make it go away. And that's, you know, at the expense of, of sounding... I don't know, I don't want to just toss it off with just a uh, a quick little easy sentiment, but that is, is, is inherently wrong. She said, you know, they can't wait for all of us to die, and we all are at an advanced age, so it won't be too long, but, you know, with less, with less women in Chile, there'll be less problems, because they see us as Chile's leprosy. And that broke my fucking heart. It, this, it, it certainly is history that should not be forgotten um in, in any way shape or form and and this movie does have a good heart it does have the fact that it wants to shed light excuse the pun on this subject as movies go as as for the purposes of this podcast and this book uh no this is not something that you have to see before you die this is a topic you should investigate before you die but this is not necessarily a film you should see before you die yeah well, watch uh as far as i'm concerned watch watch any of the other of of guzman's output as i said yeah. i can't i can't stop hammering home enough the fact that the pinochet case that is that is must see documentary filmmaking well, there you and go. you can so, rent that. You can rent that on uh, a couple of the streaming platforms. I rented it on Vudu, but I think I saw it on Prime as well. You can rent it for two or three bucks, no problem. And just really quickly too, you said you got this through IFC through a. Uh, is that right? Uh, nostalgia or, for the light. I rented. Uh, did I rent that? Yeah, I just I just rented it on uh, on Vudu. So do you know? For, do you know about for Hoopla? four bucks? I did see that it was on on Hoopla, but I think Hoopla has ads, doesn't it? No, uh, no, Hoopla is just like Canopy. It, it's a uh, oh, okay. service service through the library, and it gives you fifteen oh. views a month. Oh well, shit! I should have done that. So I would. I, would I assumed. That. I assumed it was like. I assumed it was like Tubi or something like nope. that, where it was just nope. you can watch it for free, but we're gonna hit you with seventeen ads before it's over. And yeah, no, Hoopla's good. Hoopla's good. Okay. Yeah, I will. Uh, there you go. There's a, a great little endorsement for Hoopla. I'm all yeah. about those great services hoopla and canopy keep doing what you're doing because you are i think they are necessary services yeah i agree i agree um so there you have it we have reached the end of our decade by decade celebration uh that is what we think of nostalgia for the light but of course as always we want to know what you think have you seen this um have we inspired you to see it uh, are there other documentaries like this that you recommend so please find us on facebook and on twitter hit us up um if you want to uh recommend a movie or support our show you can find us at patreon.com slash a thousand and one by one you can find us on stitcher apple google uh uh, other ones, Spotify. I think uh, Amazon is now doing it now too. So you can like find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and please, please stay tuned next week as we, my good friend, we're hitting a milestone. Our hundredth episode. Did you think we would make it this far? Oh, oh, I did. I have, dude, I have high hopes 
for fucking I, tackling I, this book. I was elated. Elated that we've made it this far. <laughs> I can't wait to, to share that experience with you. We're going to do uh, lots of lists. Sorry we didn't have a list for you. Uh, this episode, but next we, week is going to be nothing but lists. Yeah. We will make up for lists next week. Um, we will talk about some of the changes that we we made this this la- this last season. We'll talk about all the movies we covered, the things we liked, the things we didn't, and uh, maybe maybe a bit of a sneak preview into what season three could possibly look like. But we're not there yet. So until next time, I am Adam, and I am Ian, and we will see you next week. <laughs>